DJ PK reminding you, Valentine's Day is not far away. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. And remember, Valentine's is on a Sunday this year, so it might be a little difficult to just run out and grab something when you suddenly remember. So Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Time now to talk hoops with Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU and Utah basketball staff member, and a guy who never forgets Valentine's Day. Am I right? You're 100% right. Add a kid, Tim. Way to go. You're nor right. an anniversary, nor a birthday. <laughs> You're a rock. Rock star. That too? That too. That was an autograph that brought us in from the break. Their great hit, Turn Up the Radio, Pasadena-based band. Anything else you want to know about them? I think clearly we're now going to play Name That Tune with you every week. Yak, we have a new thing with Tim. Just remember that. Oh, I, can pull, I can pull some good ones. Some All right. Cuts. Excellent. I like it. So, Tim, I'm wondering if you found the last two Jazz games uh, more similar or more alike. On the one hand, the Jazz really struggled early against the Knicks, and so it makes it very different than the Warriors, so they blew off the floor. On the other hand, they had a 62-35 to advantage in the second half. 77-47 in the first half in the Warriors, so the games are kind of similar in that, oh, you can play with them for a while, but then there's going to be a sustained period where if you're not very good or you're off your game, you got a good chance of getting lit up. No, no, for sure. And, um, you know, the, the games were drastically different in style, but uh, equally as impressive. I think, um, you know, Quinn summed it up best last night when he talked about, uh, you know, that the game was quote-unquote ugly, but ugly is pretty. Um and sometimes, and the Jazz kind of faced something that that really bothered them early in the year. Really physical play, trying to knock him off their spot, and for a bit it worked. But um, you know, this Jazz team still played with great force in the second half. Got where they needed to get. Um, shots started falling, and it was all really, in my opinion, it was all spurred by their defense. How contagious, contagious is shooting when one guy starts making one, the rest of the guys follow? It's it's pretty interesting. I think there is something to it. I uh, early in that game, the Jazz weren't just off; they were really off, and they were off across the board. Um, you know, I think at halftime, uh, if you look through the numbers, they were not. You know, everybody talked about Donovan having an off night, but at halftime, everybody, for the most part, had struggled to shoot the ball. Um, all you really need is the guy to lead out and somebody to make make one, make two. Um, you know, I thought they got a huge lift last night from George Niang. Uh, in that run they made, he made those two threes, um, which I then tweeted out that the triplets were belted in the minivan and had a little uh, meme or of uh, of the van skidding out in the desert. So, um, but no, it just it takes a couple guys to make them. Uh, conversely, when you're all missing, you know the rim really gets small. So. Uh, the key to it was the Jazz just continued to, to play the way they play and trust it, uh, and shots started to fall. So, as a coach, you got all the schemes, you got all the tactics, you got all the plans in the world, but how much do you crave Mike Conley diving on the ground between two big guys and batting the ball to Joe Ingles for a three? How much do you crave uh, Clarkson going after that loose ball at midcourt, getting it, getting around a defender, and then veering back into the middle of the court and getting a three-point play. And how much do you crave Rudy going and getting seven offensive boards? No, it's, that is. I think that's really been the the difference with this Jazz team. 
Um, you know, Quinn said in the post game when asked the question, he's like, you know, sometimes there's not a ball to be to be dove upon, uh, but. I really do believe what he said. This this Jazz team plays with a, a ton of energy and plays, um, you know, they're they're the aggressor. And those plays you you mentioned there, I, I found I found it hilarious too because it was so Joe Ingles to. Uh, I think David said in the broadcast that there was almost like an electric fence around the three point line, and he kind of non, you know, he kind of waited for that thing to get to him so he could just step back and hit the three. Um, but the Jazz. You know, they just fi- have found different ways to win. Um, but I think the, the key ingredient to it is it's always – the defensive effort is always very good. I know we're, we're ecstatic about the pace and we're ecstatic about the, the threes. But I think the, the thing that most people are missing is just how good they are defensively. Um, and, you know, a huge part of that is obviously Rudy. This team beat the Lakers and or Clippers in the postseason. You know, I was thinking about that last night. I, I was thinking what we what we saw last night was a poor shooting night from the Jazz. Um, how many times have we seen a quote-unquote poor shooting night where they make 15 threes? Um, I think that the, you know, I was sitting there watching the game thinking in a seven-game series, you know, how is a team – really going to match this firepower. Um, I know all of us because, uh, you know, we're all kind of snake bit, but I, I think it's time to start really kind of getting excited about what, what the possibilities are. Um, obviously the playoffs change everything and experience kind of becomes a real thing. But, you know, I think what the jazz have been through the last couple of years with some disappointments, um, have really will really kind of motivate them even more. Um, obviously, you still have to go beat the teams that um, that that are marquee and that everybody you know picks for a reason. Um, but I think that the way they're playing translates into success in the postseason. I really do, because again, it's not a one-trick pony. They can they can beat you in the half court. Uh, they can beat you in transition. But most importantly, they're, they're just dominating teams on the glass, and their defense has been remarkably good. And so I think all those things point to the answer being yes. I think they can challenge, and I think they can have success against anybody in the postseason. So I listen to that, and I think, yes, they can beat the Clippers. No, I do not want to say out loud they can beat the Lakers. No, and, and really – because because it, it's they're the champs right and you can't talks cheap and, and speculative whatever I mean it's you have to go out there and do it um, I feel like the way this team's built and, and we talked about this last night but so often the last few years um, you know the Jazz really relied upon a certain way to play and, and a couple of players to be good um, last night we saw Donovan really struggle and. Um, I think what kind of um, what really stood out to me was that Donovan was, and, and Locke made this comment on the broadcast, one of the things that stands out is that Donovan, um, he knew he was kind of not, he didn't have it last night, and Quinn May said it may have been, you know, fatigue, his legs, whatever. But, um, you know, there's enough guys on the team, A and B, he's, an, he's a good enough teammate that, 
he almost becomes a decoy in that situation. You know, they went pick and roll and start the second half with Conley. Um, they lowered the pick and roll from the top to the to the outer third and really kind of created some tough defensive situations for the Knicks. And I think the fact that they've got multiple scores, multiple ways to score, um, and and then, you know, on top of all that, they've got a, a, a budding superstar that – uh, they've proven, hey, if he has an off night, we can still win. I think those are the things that are different differentiators from the past years. So if you were drawing up a defensive game plan against the Jazz, what would it be? Uh, you would have to do your best to try to keep them out of transition. Um, there's a couple different ways to do that. Um, obviously, shot goes up and you get everybody back. Um, just really kind of sacrifice the offensive glass and not allow them to have a numbers advantage in transition. We saw that a bunch at BYU. Um, the other thing that is really difficult for teams to do because there's not a true quote-unquote point guard is you try to choke off any kind of outlet pass. But the way the Jazz are playing, you know, if Foyan gets the rebound or Royce or Donovan or Mike, um, Jordan Clarkson, they can all bring it. So it's a little harder to, to, to try to choke off transition that way. Um, I think in the half court, I think the, the recipe has been really, be really physical, uh, switch, and kind of disguise your help a little bit. The Knicks did a good job last night of not being really overt about the way they were helping. Um, and I do believe that at, at a certain point, teams are going to make the Jazz start taking more twos, um, really sell out on the three-point line, and um, which will open up floaters, you know, finishes and stuff for Rudy. But I think people will start to say, hey, we've got to do a, a better job of eliminating their three-point shots. And I think that's the other way that you do it. Um, you know, Denver actually had a pretty unique – they crashed the boards really hard. They crashed with four guys, and that's another opportunity. If, you, if the Jazz can't get an offensive rebound – or excuse me, a defensive rebound, it's really hard to run. And so I think that would be another way. But – um, you know, what what's interesting is the Jazz have shown, hey, play us any, any way you want, and we'll try to figure out how to beat you. Um, that's kind of when offense is really good. Whenever the defense makes the decision, the offense, by virtue of the decision they make, proves the defense wrong. Um, and that's why, in my mind, uh, this Jazz team is is a buy right now because I think they can do all that stuff. So of all the things you just listed, I think Jazz fans listening to this flinched when you sweat when you talked about the uh, um, ability of defenses to switch and defend the Jazz. If a long athletic team playing at playoff level intensity and is really intent on switching everything, and they got the inter- interchangeable players to do it, is that the Jazz kryptonite? Well, it can be, um, but but what I think we saw last night was. Um, the Knicks were really physical, and I thought the, the thing they did the best last night in the first half was they really took away any kind of penetration when guys tried to drive it. Because in the past, there you know the, the blender, quote unquote, blender started with a, a ball screen and how teams played that. The Jazz have added a little wrinkle now where they've got the floor so spaced, they move the ball so well, and any guy off a of dribble penetration can create an opportunity for his teammates. Now, 
whether te- teams give help to those drives. That's what I'm talking about when they stay home. That makes kind of the paint and those twos become the thing. Um, but you talk about switching. I think the mindset has to be, even if teams switch against us, we're going to keep the floor spaced. And we still, like, a, you know, for instance, if Anthony Davis switches out on a Mike Conley or a Donovan Mitchell, the, the premise of the offense still exists. You just have to beat your guy. That's all you have to think about is how do I beat him and have someone else turn their head? And that starts everything. So that's what I saw the Jazz do in the second half last night is the Knicks really kind of stood them up on initial drives. And I thought the Jazz came out with much more force in the second half and said, hey, look, you may stand us up, but we're still going to drive it. And if you can continue to drive it, even a switch, um, you know, that's that that recipe for getting shot guys shots is still there. So I think it, it's a mindset thing for sure. It's a different look and it's something the jazz have struggled with. But part of the reason the jazz struggled with it over the past couple of years is because there were always two non shooters on the floor. Um, you know, when Ricky was out there, um, you know, uh, last year, you know, with Bojan out in the playoffs, we didn't really get that true look. Um, I think this year there's more depth at the shooting in the shooting spots for the jazz. So I'm curious to see with a kind of renewed mindset and a, a, a deeper amount of shooters. I think that that, that bodes well for the jazz to not allow switching to be the kryptonite. BYU's got Pepperdine today. What do you think their ceiling is this season? Um, you know what? I, I, I think they're a, uh, they're the lock for the NCAA tournament. And really, at that point, it's matchups. And uh, you sit there on Selection Sunday, and you, you know, you've got a list of teams that, you know, for us back in the day, Texas A&M popping up a couple times was rough for us because of the matchup. They were they're big, strong, physical. Um, but you're just kind of hoping that the the team that that they throw up there is a team that you know you have some some good matchups with. I, I really think this team's capable, and I, I love how Mark's really developed a bunch of depth on the team. Um, you know, I think every guy has a, a feeling like when they go out there, they're going to try to do what they do and have the confidence that he's going to play a lot of guys, and guys will have nights where they have it really good and, and other nights where, you know, somebody else is doing it. Um, I, I think they're a team that, that for sure gets to the NCAA tournament and you know, my money would be that they'll advance. I, I think that uh, they just seem to be really, really tough. Um, and uh, the defense has really won them several games here recently. The only thing I worry about is they do go through some spurts where they don't score um, easy. You know, scoring at times becomes difficult for them. But um, I, I guess in the NCAA tournament, you know, if you have to pick – you know, if you're if you're a defensive oriented team and can get stops, I think that gives you a chance in pretty much any game. So it looks like BYU has and, and Dave always talked about this when you're on his staff, that Gonzaga had all these big guys. They had the best big guy in the league, the second best, sometimes even had the third best. And well obviously Gonzaga is loaded. BYU does seem to have more big men and big men who are having an impact on the game, not just bodies on the roster. 
how well would that bode for them in an NCAA situation? I mean, there'd be a certain amount of it still matters on the matchups, but would it be more likely than not to matter for them? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and we've seen nights where Farms, you know, has had huge nights. And I think more than anything, he really just affects the game so much from a defense perspective because he's so mobile and so big. And, and he can do, you know, a variety of different things. He protects the rim great. Uh, but then we see Harward just take games over. You know, there's games where he's gone in there, and you know he's just he's a bull in a china closet. He doesn't care what he knocks over. Uh, he plays really super hard, and he's he's got a great touch. And, and then, not even to mention now, we've got Colby Lee, who, you know, I think Colby's an awesome player. And uh, but those three guys to be able to kind of interchange them, uh, you know, our our issue in the past we get. We'd have a, a really dominant big guy, and then, you know, they would, they would get in foul trouble, or they'd get, uh, you know, suspended for honor code issues, <laughs> and and we didn't have a whole lot to turn to. I think in this case, you know, if they get in foul trouble or if somebody gets hurt, they've got enough depth in there, and, and they play with enough physicality that um, I don't think they really miss a beat. I think each one of those guys brings something different. But it's a very, very nice problem to have. Shilling a Hall of Famer? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I like, I liked him as a Red Sox. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't loved him across the board. You know, I, I think he's kind of a blowhard at times. Um, the the pop the Hall of Fame becomes a popularity contest at some point. I think he's got a lot of enemies, so I don't know. I don't know if he gets in there or not. Um, I think his 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 career is probably worthy of it. And uh, but I also believe Pete Rose's is too. Tim, Valentine's Day is two and a half weeks away. Keep your streak alive. Yeah, will you guys send me a reminder? Okay, we'll do that. So I don't forget. We'll do that. We'll put a calendar notification and, uh, and in hey, for you. I love you guys. You guys are good good dudes. Thanks, Tim. Have an awesome day. All right. You're the man. We'll see you. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU and Utah basketball staffer as well. We're taking a break. We're coming back with Tim Cato, Dallas Mavericks and NBA writer for The Athletic. He joins us next. Jazz and Mavs tonight. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. My good friend found a basketball she got when she was 9 or 10. It has three autographs on it. John Stockton, Carl Malone, and a mystery signature. This has driven Austin to the brink of insanity. You've spent the whole show trying to find it out, right, Austin? This is my life's mission. This is what I'm doing with the rest of my breathing days. Austin's gone down some rabbit holes. Mo Williams. Or the number 25 in college. In street graffiti from time to time. The imaginary 5, five which is 25. His number. You see on the bottom, random strike. Oh, I hadn't even noticed the random yeah. strike. Oh, you're yeah, not was, trying. Wow. Yeah. Put some heart into this. This. I haven't Dude. blinked in over an hour. It's going to be a scripture. <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that. I'll be back. Oh, jeez. Here yeah, we go. <laughs> Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And we are joined now by Tim Cato, Dallas Mavericks and NBA writer for The Athletic. Tim, good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. You know, the expression, you can't, can't tell the guys without the program, has never been more true than watching the Mavericks. I was looking at stuff last night, 
and half of their top eight in terms of minutes played have missed half the games this year? Is your head spinning just trying to follow the lineup? It's it's been it's been it feels like preseason or something. You know, it's like like weirdo exhibition games that that are just like this clearly isn't the right team. This is the, you know this isn't the Mavericks, but but you know like that's that's the circumstance we're in. So it, it does seem like. Most of the the players who've been out are coming back tonight. Finally, but uh, but certainly the past couple of weeks of of just having you know these these kind of bare bones rosters and then Luca at the top uh, have been have been weird for sure. So when you get everybody back, is this team as good, better, worse than last season? I think they're better. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of a a natural expectation that a that a young team with young players who you know, kind of shored up one of its biggest weaknesses in, in terms of perimeter defense and just defense in general. I think I think the expectations that they should be should be better. Um, you know, obviously it's it's uh, it's been hard to tell. And and, and and again, like you know, we're almost 20 games in the season. And usually by now, I should be able to tell you. And, and so it's weird. It's weird that I'm not. But uh, but but yeah, no. I, I think the expectation is, is the Mavericks should definitely gonna be better. And if you kind of look at last season. They were a team that that underperformed a lot of their underlying stats, just in terms of you know they they uh, they were very bad in close games and, and beat when they won they won big. So that that's always an indicator that you know there's definitely room for improvement. And I think I am expecting that once uh, once this team kind of fully forms and, and is healthy and and together again. Porzingis is uh, unlucky. Porzingis is fragile. Porzingis is dot dot dot. How how would you describe his uh, inability to stay in the lineup. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, I think both words you you use have some validity. Um, it's funny I'm I'm kind of writing about uh, about this exact problem for for next week. I, I think I think that that you know I think there's some room for optimism. He is you know I think the concern is that he's a he's a seven three player who plays really unlike any previous seven three players. We've seen seven three seven four players in the league. But those are those are stockier dudes, and and this is you know Porzingis much you know he definitely has a body type more like a guard, and that brings more concerns about the way he moves and and kind of the risks he uh, is exposed to. But but I think there's there's room for optimism just in the sense that you know the the surgery he had over the off season was caused by a contact. You know it was caused by contact. It wasn't non-contact. It was it was somebody falling into his leg. It was relatively minor, you know. It's a meniscus is a is a well known injury, and uh, you know, it, it, honestly, the only reason it was even a quote unquote issue is that he kind of delayed the surgery, thinking the season would start later, and and so it, he he did end up missing, I think, the first eight games. But it was almost a a kind of a, a you know game of telephone where he just didn't realize the season would would start as soon as it would, and, and I don't think any of us would. Yeah, did so. It was much more obvious that he that he had you know yet another injury factor. So, you know, it's it's certainly it's been unlucky uh, to 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 have a contact injury like that. Um, it, it's always going to be a risk for him, but I, I don't think that there have been any massive glaring red flags um, since he's recovered from that ACL injury. Um, even if you look, even if you do have some concerns about the overall body of work of him. You know, often often coming down to centuries in, in several seasons, even even before the ACL happened. Don's is twenty one years of age and is so phenomenal. Where can this go, this kid go in terms of not already being there? 
I mean, best ever, something like that. I mean, I, I, I will, I'm not sure I'd predict that per se. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing it by any means. But to, to look at to look at what he's doing right now, that the the heights he's reaching already, and to say it's not possible, I think I think you're fooling yourself. You know, like these every you know even last season he was he was doing things statistically that nobody except LeBron has has ever done at, at the age that he is. So. It's it's really staggering how how good he is how how all the all 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 already looks uh, both in his play and the way that he, he gets annoyed sometimes with uh with refs and teammates not finishing stops and and, and just you know honestly even himself uh, missing shots he can get uh he can get uh, kind of uh just uh, uh exhausted with you know sometimes he just looks so old on the court uh just just with the stress that he he kind of puts on himself but. But yeah, no, he's he's by far, you know, he's he's got to be a, a top five player in the league right now, and and I think he's destined to be the best player to to win MVP. He's probably not this season with with the way that things have broke so far, but I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out, and and certainly in the coming years, uh, I think it's it's very very likely that 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 he will win at least one, and 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 then, and then we're going to talk about how many he's going to win over the course of his career. Does Rick Carlisle or anyone on the staff ever talk about uh, what he needs to improve, or do those discussions, if they happen, just don't happen publicly anymore because he's so good? Yeah, not uh, here and there. You know, I, I think it's everybody knows how good he is, so it's okay to, to criticize him uh, occasionally. But you know, I think the big thing is just you know consistently hitting jump shots and specifically three point uh, three point three pointers as he's actually improved a bit on his mid range and. And so I think just the, the consistency with his three-point shot and the consistency with his defense, which you know I, I know that he he doesn't have a defensive reputation as a as a good defender, but he's been good this season and, and he absolutely is capable of it. But there are some moments where he just loses focus or or is inconsistent or or kind of zones out. And I think a lot of star players have that. But the more that he able is able to have a switch that he can flip, um, and then the the more that he can keep it on. I think that's only going to make him a better player and more valuable to to the team. So going forward with the Mavericks, you look at players and what they want in the league. Of course, everybody wants to be paid. They want to play, and they want to play on a good team. And so Doncic has an opportunity to provide you. Uh, he can't pay you, but he's a great player, and he can help your team win ball games. What's a salary cap situation be not right now, but going forward, as far as them having money to be able to bring in guys. Uh, so it's going to be this coming summer that they're going to have this this window where Doncic is still on the the rookie scale deal, obviously way under what he will be paid in the in the very near future. Because uh, when when next season starts, or in the months leading up to next season, uh, that's when he's going to be eligible for for that that massive extension. Um, I, depending on what he qualifies for, you know, I, I think it's going to be like 25 or 30, 30% of the cap. Uh, he should qualify for the 30%. But, but suffice to say that that's when he's going to be making a lot more money and it will be a lot harder to go sign for agents. And, and a lot more of the work that, that the Mavericks will have to do going forward will be through trades or, or uh, exceptions or things like that. So this coming season, this coming off season is important for them because they, they will actually have some cap space with with uh, a few bigger contracts expiring and, and James Johnson and Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, the idea is that they should have at least $25 million in space, maybe 35 or 40 if they, if they kind of you know, make certain moves in, in different ways. It's not the best 
offseason to actually go sign said free agent. Um, you know, obviously Giannis is, is not no longer a target, and Bradley Gill no longer is either. Um, but, but you know, whoever is out there, and there's a few names that I think are, are somewhat intriguing, you know, that's, that's their chance to go add talent and, and add, add talented players and, and do it through, through free agency, which is, you know, the, the least asset-dependent way to do it, the, the cheapest way, even though it's very expensive, but the cheapest way in the, in the terms that you don't have to give anything up. And so this, this coming offseason is, is a big one for them, and I think that, you know, they, they don't have the expectations this season. You know, they, they do want to win a playoff series, but I think the title and uh, contending expectations really start after next offseason, which is their kind of final chance to improve the roster through free agency and, and really be ready to be a title contender. Tim Cato joining us, Dallas Maverick and NBA writer for the Athletic Jazz, playing the Mavericks twice in three days, both games at home. Uh, the Mavericks are one of the elite defensive teams when it comes to the three-point shot. Opponents only shooting 34.2% against them. That's fourth best in the league. Jazz are second best at shooting it. How does that play out? How do the Mavs uh, shut teams down on the three-point line? What else are they willing to give up or have to give up to do that, and how does this play out? They're, they're very switchy. They like to switch a lot, and so a lot of the um, – Three-pointers they give up, uh, you know, they, what what they expose themselves to is a is a bad matchup and you know a, a you know post ups or a, or a big man that a guard can drive past. So so that's definitely the the area to, to kind of beat them, and, and that's why you know some of the the three-point shooting, you know, their overall defensive numbers, even though that one that metric is good, their overall defensive numbers I think are pretty average this season. Uh, granted, a lot of that has been the, the injuries that they've, they've suffered. You know, they've, their best defenders have certainly been out, and during Anthony Smith, Josh Richardson, Maxi Kleba, uh, and then, you know, of course, closing is missing the start of the year. So that's definitely a factor, and the team did have, uh, you know, really promising signs right before their uh, their health and safety protocol crisis hit, uh, as we're calling it. And and so, you know, I, I think that it's, it's going to be curious to see how well they're able to do, but, but certainly... Um, do watch uh, in, in, in these two games coming up that, you know, there will be a lot of switches. There will be a lot of chances to, to kind of take advantage of, of mismatches, um, such as they exist on, on this team, which, you know, is, is a decent roster for, for switchability, but, but certainly not perfect. And if you can isolate someone like Porzingis um, or if you need a smaller guard like Trey Burke or Jalen Brunson um, on, a, on a bigger guy, those are, those are definitely advantageous matchups that, that uh, opponents of the, the Mavericks have taken advantage of. So the Mavericks started 11 different players. Do they attribute that to what percentage is just injury or as opposed to maybe Carlisle still experimenting? I think it's mostly the, uh, the, the hard times and the, you know, just the, the players that have been absent and, and out. Um, you know, a couple of the starters have been Josh Green, who is a rookie, and Wessel Wandu, who is a fourth-year player, but previously he was with Orlando, kind of a big player. And, and neither of them are, are players that even were playing rotation minutes uh, when the when the first few games of the year started, and and all of a sudden when when you're you know missing six different players, five of them due to protocol reasons, and another one due due to injury, and in some cases two due to injury, you're, you're kind of stuck just playing who you have and, and throwing things, tossing things, and, and seeing what sticks. So I don't know if if uh, if, if the players do return tonight as as expected. Um, you know, I, I'm not positive whether uh, they're going to start right away. I, I think they probably would, but uh, but certainly, you know, it, it, the starting lineup I, I think is 
is relatively nailed down in four positions, and then maybe the one big question is whether you use someone like Tim Hardaway Jr. versus uh, Maxi Kleba versus um, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, while Richardson, Luca, and, and Chris Stapps are definite starters. So you've seen a little bit of the season. There's still a lot of question marks out there, but rank the top four in the West. How does this play out? Ooh, I think I think the three as it stands right now, the top three, which is what I mean, it's Lakers, Clippers, and and then Utah. Like that, that seems that feels like you know. I I mean, I guess the big question is, is you guys is, is Utah, but you know, everything I've seen feels legitimate in, in terms of what's what's happening there. Um, so so the the big question is, I guess, is four and. You know, I I clearly understand that. Uh, you know, I have a uh, a, a bias just in terms of I watch and I'm you know I watch the Mavericks more than more than anyone else and kind of understand what they're doing. Um, I I would say that you know I, I said even before the season that I expected them to push for a home court advantage at some point. Um, you know, and and you know, kind of kind of look around the league. Uh, Denver did beat them last night, but I, I'm I'm not fully sold and. I'm trying to think. You know, Phoenix is interesting, but I'm, I'm not sure that's a that's a team that I would uh, uh, put full stock into. So, you know, I guess tentatively, uh, since since I am a Mavericks writer, and and who knows, uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe Luke is listening right now, and he'll he'll get upset if I say anybody else. Um, you know, I, I think Dallas can be a, a top four seed, and I think that's that's something that they have the, the potential of being. Um, but but I would say that there's there's certainly a step below the, the two Lakers or sorry the two Los Angeles teams um, and even Utah at this point. I, I'm very very interested to see how the how these two coming games kind of play out because uh, I, I'm I'm just super curious to see 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 how they how they match up because you know I, I could see the Mavericks being on a on a similar level to some extent, but certainly I think all the evidence right now points to, to Utah you know, really making making a, a next step and uh, being at least a level above them. Tim Cato, Dallas Mavericks and NBA writer for The Athletic, joining us here with the Jazz and Mavs playing twice in three days. Tim, we appreciate the time. Thanks for checking in with us. For sure. Thanks for having me. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Mavericks... Nuggets, I think we both had high opinions to both those teams, PK. Somebody's got to get into the top four, and those are the two that jump out at me right now, but it definitely seems like a free-for-all. Yeah, I'd put Portland in there, too, when they get their guys back, depending on what the record is at the time. So, yeah, I'm Dallas, if they can get all their guys. I'm not as high on them as he is, but I don't see them every day. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback is coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback, everything you've had to say about this show. Question of the morning. How impressive was it to see the Jazz have to grind out a win over the Knicks? And on Twitter, we've had like 38 people like that in the last couple hours, PK. So I think that right there is most people enjoyed it. They love to see their team just crush somebody, but too much of that gets boring. So there was a little adversity thrown in front of them, and they were able to handle it and handle it pretty easily. And, you know, the Knicks are below 500, so they're not the best test in the world, but it was a test nonetheless. 
I think you want to be prepared for as many possible situations as you're going to face. And obviously you're not going to blow people out every game in the postseason. No one does. Even the greatest of the greats, it's hard to do, obviously. So here, have an opportunity to see what you can do when things aren't going well. And they showed that. That was what was most impressive about that, is obviously coming back from a 13-point deficit in which the flow wasn't good. You know, we've been talking about, and those TNT guys talk about, well, yeah, they got to make shots. Well, I mean, they made shots in the second half, obviously, but they didn't make them consistently throughout the game, and they found a way to win. Uh, mercy for others as much as mercy for yourself, tweets at us. That's a long handle. Uh, it was, quote, watch the whole second half after my little bro warned me, closed quote. Impressive. Just kidding. Winning when a core piece off is super valuable, I'd say it was 400% impressive. Uh, that's a lot of percent. <laughs> that is a lot of percent. I get your point, though. You want to win when your best player isn't having, uh, isn't having a good shooting night. And they did. Yes, and also, too, he's not having a great shooting night by any stretch, but he still manages to hit two big threes. Ryan says last year they lose this game. This is now an elite team. I could have even seen them drop in this game when they were 5-4 and four this year. Actually, I would argue that is, that is what happened against Minnesota. There are some similarities, right? A team that you should beat, but they get off to a good start, and you don't know how yeah. to okay. grab the game and spin it around in the middle of the game. And they grabbed this game, and they spun it around and won it. Well, if I go from last year to this year, uh, I think there's one significant difference, and that's Conley. Then I think you have a couple other, probably three other differences I'd put in there. Joe being more comfortable in his role coming off the bench. Uh, Favors is on the team. And Niang, I think, has really picked it up and made himself an effective weapon. Agree with all of those. That's a good list right there. Uh, Greg says it's an impressive win, but the first half made it clear they can be pushed around a bit physically at times. That, Greg, that is something to watch. And I think that whole switching defenses, get physical with them, see if you can throw them off the game, make them uncomfortable, because when shooters are comfortable, they tend to be a lot better at shooting. No question about that, but I think it's important for the Jazz to respond in kind. You don't want to get out of what you do, but if someone is physical and you up, I think the best way to do it is to my match in that. Kirk says the impressive thing about this game is how badly Mitchell and Bogdanovich shot the ball, and they still won by 14. I think from 1 to 8, we have the deepest and strongest team in the NBA. I'd have to evaluate that. I mean, the record is just a half game behind the Lakers, so it's not out of the realm, but I'm not looking at in the moment. I'm looking going forward Big picture into the and, postseason. And we haven't watched everybody as close as we watched the Jazz. And the other thing I would say is, would you trade being the deepest from 1-8 to eight for having the best player in the league and two of the top five or ten players in the league? Well, of course not. I mean, I mean of course you would. You'd yeah. rather have be strong at the top, yeah. All right, there's some of your feedback. We are out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.